chillin' and a you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and a accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing. Test, the test. Is this thing on? Oh, yes, it is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista. And now here's your host, Serena Bird and Friends. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I'm speaking with Sandy Parks, who's owner of the Green Shed. Now, for people who live in Canberra, I don't even need to explain what the Green Shed is. It's kind of like an Aladdin's cave for Frugalistas, or at least that's what it is when I go in there. I think my my eyes light up with all the possibilities. And if you speak to nearly anyone in Canberra, usually they've got a story about something amazing that they've found at the Green Shed. In fact, recording this, I'm wearing a cardigan that I got for free from the Green Shed. And we'll talk a bit later about fast fashion. Hello, Sandy, and welcome. Hello, Serena. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Firstly, what is the Green Shed? Well, the Green Shed is a place that's um, started off at the TIPS. We're not allowed to call them TIPS anymore. They're called the Resource Management Centre. No, no to TIPS. (laughs) (laughs) I always call it a TIPS still. It's a reuse facility. People throwing things out bring their reusables to us and we collect them, sell them to the public and basically keep all that stuff out of landfill. I always say, after what you said at the beginning, that you can find everything in our shops that is in every shop in the world and many things that are no longer in any shop in the world. We basically deal in everything. We never know what's coming in the door next. I never know what I'm going to find. I mean, I found a, a good quality bicycle for my youngest son once. Well, actually, correction, he found it. He walked up to it and he said, this is mine. And I went, oh, we don't need a new bike. But actually we did and it was great. Well, we get a lot of people come through, like your little fellow, get a bike grow out of it, bring it back, get another one, grow out of it. They come in again and again. It happens often, often. And uh, I didn't mention, as well as the two tip shops, we've got two shops in the centre of the city, one of them selling much nicer things, like little antique collectible sort of things, and the other one mainly selling clothes and things that we have far too much of, which is like clothes, books and electrical items. I love both of those shops, I must say, and I really love how accessible they are. I, I love the vintage one, and it's just it is just beautiful, some of those things that have been crafted with love and crafted with care. Mm. In fact, I got a birthday present, a unique birthday present for a chef from there recently. I was looking for some quirky cooking things and found some unusual, we think they're cookie trays, <laughs> just an unusual shape, so you never know what you'd find, you'll find. And the underground one, I must say, that is just like mind-boggling the amount of things that are in there. Mm, I think it's my favourite, although I can't really decide. Whenever I walk in there, I just sort of takes my breath away because it's just so fantastic and it's just the sort of shop that I would have loved when I was younger. I would have spent all my time there. <laughs> <laughs> and not too much money. It's quite affordable. <laughs> but I went there not long before we were married. So we were married in September 2018 and I went there with a girlfriend she doesn't really like secondhand shopping, to be honest, but she's quite a fashionista. She's, uh, she Instagrams at Simply Cheeky here in, in Canberra. Her name's Erna Glassford. Very, very fashionable petite lady. And we went to the underground and we were shopping and she saw this dress behind the counter and she went, 
oh my god, it's Ted Baker. And I went, Ted who? (laughs) (laughs) I should know better. And she's like, you need that dress. And I went, no, no, I've got a dress. And she's like, no, no, you need that and you need to wear that before your wedding. And I went, okay, okay. So I went and tried it on and it was beautiful. So retail knew it was about $1,000, I think. Wow. Which I paid much less for that there. I wish I still had that dress. However, when I wore that at the pre-dinner meal that we had with the family, one of my cousins insisted that that was now hers because she wanted it. (laughs) Oh, well. So it's been re-gifted on with love. (laughs) I'd like to ask a little bit about some of the strangest, almost unique things that you've been gifted. Mm. And you've even got a basket here with some things. Yes, this basket is just things that we keep in our office. Uh, Whenever we go and do talks and things, we bring out stuff and have a little display of unusual things that come through. I'm not in the basket and off the top of my head, you know, we've had grand pianos and, uh, well, we've we've had over a tonne, maybe two tonne of Lego given to us in all those years. We've been going for about 10 years and over that time we've been given many, many things. The things that spring to mind, we've had a couple of grand pianos. Grand pianos. Yes, yes. We could. We decided not to sell them actually because we figured no one would buy them because <laughs> they're so big. Both times we had a competition. And um, people won the piano. Someone won one for their school and someone won one for their theatre troupe, I think. How amazing. So the gift just yeah, keeps was, giving on in the community. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It, you know, we have these little fun things that we do with the community to kind of engage them. You know, we get a lot of stock coming through and so it affords us a lot of opportunity. Yeah, so as far as unusual things, the grand pianos, we've had Michael Milton's leg. Uh, we usually have that as part of our display too. Michael Milton won six gold medals um, at Paralympics, mm-hmm. lives in Canberra, just came past one day, gave us his leg. Gave- <laughs> Charlie said, you're famous. He goes, I used to be. <laughs> we, did, we figured, you know, we wouldn't be able to sell it, so we walk around and show it to people. And it's always interesting, actually. You know, you don't get a chance to see an athlete's leg is it a high-tech leg very yeah very high-tech million dollar man sort of yeah it looks like that to me I'm I'm sure Michael would say no no it's just my spare or something but um it looks pretty cool wow yes we could look in the basket oh I'd love to look at the basket I've been sort of eyeing that basket off I must say yeah I can't remember what's in this box but it rattles let's have a look oh look at these little things they're like little geisha dolls and wow. they, there are 12 of them in different So they're in sort of like test tube kind of <laughs> glass <laughs> capsules and they are just gorgeous. They look like they're made of noodles. They are. Do you have pictures? I will take some pictures. Okay, there's a – this is rather cute. It's a like a louvre, like a bird feather fan. I know this is from South America, but I don't know a lot more about it. Someone would have gone to a lot of trouble getting that through customs to bring it into the country. It looks like it's made from leather and feathers. It looks like a loofah. A loofah. Mm. Wow, it's so colourful. It's blue and it's red and... Yeah. We've got... We don't only get, like, new things. This is one of the oldest things we've found. It's an oil-burning lamp from ancient Greece. Wow. It's almost biblical, really. <laughs> yeah, pre-biblical. <I laughs> pre-biblical. Think. Yeah, um, there's a classics museum at the ANU. I took it in, but the expert was away. But they did tell me it was Greek. 
I'm going to take it back and see if she can give us more details about it. But the museum's full of them, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, we get lots of different bits and bobs. Should we continue going through those? You well, can yes, because some out. there's um, a, a doll there that looks fascinating. Yes, we get a huge amount of dolls coming through. Now, this one is an Hushabai doll. You can see they've always got their names on the back. And made so, in Australia. It's got Australia map on the back as that's well. That's right, yeah. So these are, you know, fairly unique, I'd say. She's got a, the usual horrendous face of the ancient doll <laughs> <laughs> with the really creepy eyes. But not too bad. An original dress. You know, they're just they're just lovely, really, and quite often they come in broken and this little person is not broken at all. And I must say, those creepy eyes are moving as you move her oh, around. Nice. <laughs> uh, this is something that everybody loves. Back in the day when we didn't have calculators and at school you had your cues oh, and air rods. Oh, I remember those. I used to use those when I think I was in grade two or three. Yes. And I actually found them a little bit confusing, to be honest. I know most <laughs> people love them and have great memories, but I found them a bit confusing. Did you use those, Neil? Neil's like not at no, all. shaking his head. It wasn't his no. thing. You know, quite often I bring up these and people go, Kiss and air rods. They know the name and they love them. They remember playing with them at preschool. Yeah, it was a really good way to do basic maths. You yeah. could really visualise how the different colours all stack together. That's right. And this is a good set because it looks complete. It does. Usually it come, it's been, you know, knocked out of its box and you don't get everything there. Here we've got a letter. We get a lot of um, letters and pictures and people's personal documentation, um, you know, from families that have died or families that are no longer even in existence. There are a lot of like emotional letters to each other and stories being told, but they're not worth any money, but they've got a lot of social value. This one came through about a year ago. And it's a letter written from the the trenches to a mother of a man that has just been shot. It's really fantastic to read, like a, you know, just really, it's very moving. It looks beautiful. It does look beautiful. Um, it's just that with these things, they come through and it would have meant so much a hundred years ago. But, you know, he's passed away and the mother's obviously passed away by now. And probably any of the family members that ever cared about that person. I'm I'm just almost in tears reading yeah. this. It is dated the 4th of June, 1917. And may I read this out? Of course. Um, Mrs. Pierce, dear madam, it is my very sad duty to have to write and tell you that your son, and then there's a number and a name, was killed in action this afternoon. I mean, what a heart-wrenching letter to have to write. And it's just mm. the penmanship in this is just beautiful. Mm. And considering it's written at the time, you know, in a place that must have been horrendous, you know, must have been going through terrible, terrible experience himself. We get these sorts of things through and we put just put them on our counter in the office because really nobody's going to buy them. If we give them to the war memorial, we do sometimes give things to the war memorial, but sometimes we just hang on to things because we put them out there and show them to people and people are interested in them. Yeah, it's funny when this stuff comes through, not everyone's interested in it, you know, but it's something that I'm personally interested in. And so, and um, Elaine, my business partner, we're always looking up these things. Well, it's a form of social history, isn't it? It has yes. to, It's more meaningful, I think, when you, you read letters like this, you get an understanding 
of how Australia was affected by the, the Great War. Yeah, and these are the ordinary people as well. You know, they don't usually make it to the walls of the War Memorial. Mm. Yes, Neil and his family lost three great uncles to the First World War, and I know it was, was tragic. Yeah. Was indeed. We've got some more, have we? Yes. Look, these are pretty interesting. If you look at them from over there, can you see what they're made of? It's a picture of an African lady with a baby on her back and a bowl on her head. But when you look closer, you'll see it's made of butterfly wings. Wow. That is really unique. Yeah, there's two of them, a little African butterfly wing Wow. So we get stuff coming through that you just... It's always new, you know. We've been doing this a very long time. Uh, we were at Revolve 30 years ago, so we've seen a lot of things coming and going. Every day there's something that you, makes you go, wow, I've never seen that before. Or why would someone throw that away, that sort of thing. Sandy, how did you get involved in recycling? It was called recycling in the day, but Serena, we prefer to call it reuse. I prefer to make a difference between those two terms. Recycling is things like paper and glass and stuff you put in your yellow bin. It takes a lot of processing. It costs the taxpayer a lot of money to operate. Reuse, which is what we do, and it's called the reuse facility, costs nothing really apart from having the facility there. Very little processing creates a lot of jobs. We have um, 76 people employed and about 45 of them are full-time. And that's just um, from things like from income generated out of what people throw away. I've been doing this uh, since 1988 when we opened Revolve at the Mugger Lane Tip back then. We started, it was called Recycling for Job Creation. It was a not-for-profit company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first in the world, really. It the was, first uh, in the world in 1988. Yes. Uh, there was other kind of second-hand shops, obviously. This one was situated at the Tip, and we used to go up on the Tip and dig through everything and pull things out and rescue them and bring them back to the yard to sell. We're not allowed to do that these days. These days we have to collect things from the public. They drop it off. And uh, we just sort it out and put it out in the shop. Yeah, quite revolutionary mm. back in the 1980s. I don't think people had much as much awareness about the growing landfill problem then. No, um, it was starting to. It was the you know the green movement was starting and uh, people were becoming aware. It was started by a lady called Annie Kavanagh. She worked for Jobless Action, helping people find work. And she was throwing things away one day at the tip and she saw all this useful stuff and she saw that things were going to waste, people were going to waste, and she put the two together, uh, lobbied the government and the ACT government then had the foresight to start this up and it's still going. It's still going strong. Mm. I love the Green Shedder and what it's doing. I want to talk a little bit about the minimalist movement, which is really all the rage at the moment, the Marie Kondo documentary on Netflix saw many people going on a it doesn't spark me joy uh, (laughs) kind of adventure and in some cases op shops were closing their doors and they weren't accepting new things for a while. (laughs) How do you see this minimalist trend play out for your business? Well look quite honestly I think we've seen we've seen people dropping things off has increased over the 10 years We've done a lot to um, engage the community. We've got a lot of big following on Facebook and we kind of have seen it growing every year. It's only recently I heard the word Marie Kondo. I've never really looked her up or anything. 
I don't think it makes a huge difference to us, but I do think people are using her name to kind of think about cleaning out things, Mm -hmm. you know. People do turn up and give us things. I haven't noticed a big difference, that's all. I suspect that it isn't so huge, really, you know. I, I don't think it's affected a lot of people. I think people use it as an excuse just to get rid of stuff they wanted to get rid of in the first place. I can't see that there's much minimalism going on personally, Mm. but I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I'm finding that many of my friends now are becoming a bit more minimalist. Good to hear. Which is good to hear. But because I'm on a a project this year to give away at least 366 items with intention and hopefully more, I haven't done a tally recently, It's actually becoming harder and harder. Like I had a clothes swap here yesterday and I've still got two whole clothing racks of clothing and not all of those are mine. Like (laughs) I always get so much that is given more than I give out and I'm finding that's a trend. And when I ask people, they're like, oh, no, I'm I'm downsizing, I'm minimalizing, I don't need any new clothes, I don't want any new clothes, (laughs) I don't want any new stuff, I've made a pledge this year not to buy new stuff. Hmm. So it's actually I'm finding it's a challenge for me in terms of giving away things but I wonder too how much of this movement is about privilege as well that when you can invest in a a, you know a nicer house or a nicer sort of storage Hmm. uh, storage spaces for your stuff then suddenly this minimalism becomes practicable and feasible yes yeah maybe um and also I think some people feel like they've earned the right to go and buy something once they've given away (laughs) Enough, you know, they have this feeling that they've done something really good, but I don't think it really carries on to like, okay, you know, I'm actually going to manage with what I've got. I think many people, I mean, we get quite a lot of people bringing us stuff in our back door, then they park, go around the front and buy things. And there's a big kind of circle of in and out going. And I think when I talk to people, it's like, okay, I've got rid of this, I'm going to go and buy something else. I've got room for something else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which they joke about, but I actually think it's true. Well, I think it's probably true in my case a little bit. I have, um, uh, Neil and I have like a, it's not quite a pocket money system, but we give each other a bit of money every fortnight. And if I don't go out for coffees or lunches, I spend it on whatever I like. And I love op shopping and secondhand <laughs> shopping. And sometimes I do wonder, I think I'm getting more coming back in than I am actually giving out. <laughs> so I'm probably just as much true of that trend that you're observing yeah. as anyone, even though I'm consciously trying not to spend a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to sometimes um, when you're in that space. I know. I know. There's so much to buy. I walk around the shop. I actually have stopped myself buying stuff in the large, you know, at the shop. But I'm, when, when I walk around our city shop and I see all those amazing things, I hold them and go, wow, that's really beautiful. And in the past, I probably would have gone, I think I'll buy that. But I'm happy enough just putting it down and haven't seen it. And then I come back in a couple of days and everything's changed because everything moves out of that shop so quickly. And I just have another look and it's kind of like a museum. It's a museum where you can buy stuff and I'm choosing to look on it as a museum where I can see things that I find really interesting. It would be so tempting to take everything home. <laughs> imagine. A lot of talk about the circular economy. Is this a happening thing? I do think it is for sure. It's in coming into policy um, across Australia. It's in um, policy in Europe, in places like France and Sweden. New South Wales are certainly bringing it in soon. 
everybody in waste at a local and federal level are talking about the circular economy all the time. It's a good thing because it's dealing with the uh, thinking about the end of life of all products. We've already got the product stewardship scheme in for electronics here. So when you buy a TV, there's a bit added on for it to be uh, recycled at the end of its life. There are many more things that that should happen to. I would say furniture would be one. Mm. Um, Even here at the Green Shed, there's lots of charities in town. They get offered too much furniture. We get far too much furniture. We get offered around 80 lounge suites a week. 80? 80, yeah. And we sell about four. That's one of the things that I would like product stewardship to come into. Yeah, so with the circular economy, it's all about basically uh, keeping the resources that are being used in making things, keeping them going for as long as possible. People like us, like the reuse centres, are a good place for people to offload their stuff and for those resources to be retained, really. I think it's really important. I'm always frustrated when you've got an appliance and there's just something wrong with it and the whole thing has to be thrown out. We had something recently, a kitchen appliance, where just one small widgety bit broke, just Mm. one small bit, Mm. and we couldn't buy a replacement part. And when we asked the company, they just said, well, we'll ship you a whole new one. Uh. So the condition being that we had to cut the cord of the old one. And it was fine because we got a whole new new Mm. new appliance Mm. but it was only really one little bit that broke yeah there is a whole repair movement going across the world actually a repair cafe movement and in Canberra it's fairly healthy at the environment center you can go there and there are people there that can help you repair things that's good to know. I'm not sure that they could have repaired this one. This one was a little bit specialist. But it's really good to know that you don't just throw things out. How much stuff is enough? Well, I think <laughs> I think all of us are guilty of having far too much, really. I think that Marie Kondo is correct in saying, you know, if it doesn't bring you joy, then you, why have you got it? But also, you know, we've all got things that hang in the wardrobe waiting for us to slim down or get them repaired and that sort of thing. Anything, I think, that you haven't used in a year, you really don't need. And from experience, I know that once you get rid of something, you don't miss it. Not Mm. for a second, really. But people have a problem, actually, parting from certain things. They get emotionally attached to things. And I think that is a bit problematic. Things have memories, don't they? You remember the time you wore a dress to someone's wedding or you're on a date or a graduation for yourself or for a family member. And so you don't want to throw that out even though you're two sizes up or down since (laughs) when you wore it. That's right. There are plenty of places you can go. There are museums and things. They're not personal items, but they bring back memories. You know, there are shops, secondhand shops. You can window shop and get memories from things. Don't know about filling your cupboards full of stuff. The more I do this, the more I'm kind of frustrated that people are holding on to to things when it's one of the least important things in your life, really, you know. So what are the important things? Oh, I love family, experiences, not things. Not always things. Some things maybe, but not always things. (laughs) I think that's very profound, especially you're working in this space, you see it. 
Mm, mm. It's uh, it's quite frightening. Um, I'll just you know an example is that every Christmas we'll get four or five items that are still wrapped. Um, so we actually have to unwrap someone's Christmas present to put it out for sale in the mm. secondhand shop. It's always stuff like candles and cups and people know what's in them and don't want them. You know, that's a sort of uh, that's a sort of behavior that we really don't need and is really damaging to the planet, you know, it's it's just crazy. It's just craziness. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm not going to go on a Christmas vent, but one final question. Do you have a favourite frugalista tip? Well, I would just advise people not to buy so much stuff. You know, limit the money that you take out. Ask yourself whether you really want it. Don't buy things straight away. Go back the next day um, after some consideration if you see something you want. Just don't buy so much stuff. To find out more about the Green Shed, you can connect with them on Facebook. And for those visiting Canberra or who live in Canberra, the Green Shed has four outlets in Mitchell, Mugger Lane and two shops in Civic CBD. Their CBD one above ground, which is kind of like a vintage antique store, and the Green Shed underground. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you. You've been listening to the joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. And myself, I'm Joseph McGrail Baitup. You got an accentuate the positive eliminate the negative latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between.